The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 571 for May 21st, 2017. The FCC begins dismantling net neutrality, lots of news out of Google I.O., and HTC releases the U11. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first up this week, Intel and Samsung have expressed their support for the FTC and their antitrust investigation against Qualcomm. The FTC has issued uh, Qualcomm legal action uh, back in January and suggested that the company's patent licensing practices may violate monopoly regulations. Intel and Samsung would agree, saying that Intel is ready, willing, and able to compete on the merits in this market that Qualcomm has dominated for years, but Qualcomm has maintained an interlocking web of abusive patent and commercial practices that subverts competition on, on the merits. Uh, Intel was able to, or has been able to crack into the smartphone market to a certain extent, uh, but uh, the, are, there are approximately 101 billion devices that are shipping annually uh, of smartphones. And Samsung, on its part, says that Qualcomm's unwillingness to play fairly has held back its in-house processor business. They say despite having requested a license from Qualcomm, Samsung cannot sell licensed Exynos chipsets to non-Samsung entities because Qualcomm has refused to license Samsung to make and sell those licensed chipsets. Now, Qualcomm has argued the FTC's case is weak and should be dismissed. A hearing is scheduled for June. Apple has, of course, filed its own lawsuit against Qualcomm shortly after the FTC's uh, concerning the chipmaker's onerous, unreasonable, and costly licensing terms. Qualcomm also this week targeting companies that manufacture Apple products in an attempt to recover royalty payments. Specifically, Qualcomm has sued Foxconn, Pegatron, uh, Wistron, and Koppel Electronics seeking patent fees. Apple's withholding about a billion dollars in royalties from Qualcomm after it sued the company for overcharging its pat- on patents and technology licenses. And they said, while not disputing the contractual obligations to pay for the use of Qualcomm's in, uh, inventions, the manufacturers say that they must follow Apple's instructions not to pay, said Qualcomm in a statement. Apple said it will support the suppliers until the dispute with Qualcomm is resolved. Qualcomm, of course, just as we just mentioned, being sued by the FTC, Apple and other companies have also filed those lawsuits against Qualcomm on what are considered antitrust law violations. Yikes, this sounds like a mess. A billion dollars in royalty? That's a huge number. Uh, this, I mean, this could lead to, uh, you know, really strange consequences down the road here because, of course, Qualcomm is really uh, embedded, uh, no pun intended, in a lot of the radios that we use these days. Yeah. And I mean, it's obviously there's a lot of people that are involved in this stuff. And, you know, the manufacturers that, you know, they're relying on Apple to handle all of these issues. And now they're getting sued, um, you know, because of these royalty payments that are not being paid by Apple. It's uh, quite the mess here. But uh, fortunately, I would imagine most of the business will uh, business of making products will continue to go on. And it'll just be on the backside that we figure out what's going to ultimately happen with this. But uh, certainly Qualcomm is uh, the biggest player in this game. And so uh, them being a target is no surprise. It's just a matter of how it shakes out in the end. The FCC Thursday voted to begin the process of undoing the Title II designation that governs net neutrality. In its Twitter feed, the commission noted the FCC is proposing to return to a regulatory framework that preserved a free and open Internet for almost 20 years. The previous commissioner, Tom Wheeler, installed the Title II designation and rules back in 2015 to protect consumers from onerous business practices. 
Current FCC chairman Ajit Pai has long felt the rules weren't necessary and started early in his tenure with his intention to walk back the regulations. The vote doesn't immediately strip Title II from net neutrality, but it sets forth the process to do so. The FCC wants to return to the commission's original classification of mobile broadband internet access service as to provide uh, a private mobile service rather than a utility. The FCC intends to eliminate the catch-all internet conduct standard created in the Title II order. Because of the internet conduct standard is so extremely vague and expensive, they say ISPs must guess at what they are permitted to do. Eliminating the internet conduct standard uh, is therefore expected to promote innovation and network investment by eliminating uh, unnecessary and uncertainty regulatory uh, bodies. Uh, Lastly, the proposed uh, rulemaking seeks comment on the idea of eliminating the bright line rules that define the mobile broadband providers in what they can and cannot do, such as throttling and paid prioritization schemes. So uh, some interesting stuff with this one. Obviously, we've talked about this uh, over the last couple of weeks, and we saw this one coming. It's just uh, was a matter of time before this work actually started, and that uh, time was this week. Right. So the FCC wants to return to the original classification. I don't think that's actually true. I think that's the lobbying effort and the companies that support that. And of course, his former employer wants that stripped. So that's just my opinion on this. It's uh, I, I, I wish we wouldn't uh, were at this point, but that's what we'll have to do. And, you know, sometimes uh, these things just bounce around and it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality. Yeah, and back and forth uh, in many respects, and it, it's a, you know, it's the agenda that uh, the commissioner and uh, the, I'll just, you know, the majority of, of the commissioners, I should say, uh, has, and so that's what we get, um, and we move on, and if we come back to it, it's going to take a lot more than this commission to do so. Next up, Google kicked off I.O. 2017 by highlighting the growth of Android, the world's largest operating system, now powering over 2 billion devices. Statistics were shared for other Google products as well. So Photos, which launched nearly two years ago, has over 500 million users and processes. Get this, 1.2 billion photos per day. People are watching over a billion hours worth of video on YouTube each day. And Maps is serving directions for a billion kilometers on a daily basis. Drive has also posted impressive growth with the cloud storage crossing 800 million users. And uh, it is uh, Google's intention to keep uh, using all of this data to leverage machine learning and AI in its products. That's just a staggering amount of data and and, uh, and processing power required to do all that. It's unbelievable. I I mean, just the the number of YouTube, it, 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 it blows the mind. It's huge. Yeah, um, you know, over a billion photos every day as well. I mean, it's amazing. Just think about how much information uh, that they have, how much uh, digital data that they have access to and are able to use. It's no wonder that their products seem seemingly work better than everybody else's because they're leveraging all of this stuff that they they have to, uh, you know, to, to have these products learn uh, very easily and very quickly uh, because of all of that information. Very interesting. Next up in devices, HTC on Tuesday announcing the U11. This is a flagship smartphone responding to squeezes of the device. So according to HTC, the U11 will open the camera, dictate and send a text message or even open email that will generate with the gentle squeeze of the handset. HTC calls the feature Edge Sense and it works uh, under most circumstances, such as when the owner is wearing gloves. Other notable features include support for Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant and HTC Sense companion voice assistants, HTC Boom Sound Hi-Fi Edition speakers and custom-tuned Usonic earbuds uh, that now include active noise cancellation and four microphones 
for 3D recording. The phone merges uh, the visual appeal of the U-Ultra with the specs of a modern flagship. The U-11 is made from a dual liquid glass surface surfaces and a metal frame that are resistant to water and liquid damage. The Super LCD 3 display is 5.5 inches and boasts quad HD resolution. It's got Gorilla Glass 5 and a Snapdragon 835 processor, 4 gigs of RAM, and 64 gigs of storage. Other specs include a 12-megapixel main camera with autofocus, BSI sensor, optical image stabilization, f1.7 aperture, and dual LED flash. Shooting modes include HDR boost, manual panorama, face detection, hyperlapse, slow motion, and 4K video. Front-facing camera, 16 megapixels, 3,000 milliamp hour battery, quick charge 3 with a USB-C port. Like the U-Ultra, the U-11 gets rid of the 3.5 millimeter headset jack, but does include an adapter in the box. It supports most LTE bands here in the U.S., sold by Sprint with HPUE for faster performance on that 2.5 gig spectrum. HTC plans to sell an unlocked variant of the phone directly to consumers via HTC.com and Amazon.com. Pre-orders uh, can be made immediately. The phone will be shipping in June for $700, and it's available in black, silver, and blue. Verizon this week canceled plans to sell the LG Watch Sport wearable. The device announced earlier this year was set to reach Verizon's network uh, this spring with LTE support. Verizon did not say why it chose to drop the device, though those who have pre-ordered the device previously will get $100 off any other connected wearable. The Watch Sport is circular, was circular, fitness-focused smartwatch that uh, can track workouts and health data. Uh, it is still available uh, from AT&T. Verizon is, uh, instead looks to be focusing on the Watch 24 wearable, which is, of course, their branded smartwatch running Android Wear 2.0. Google on Wednesday said its Google Home device can now make free voice calls to landline and mobile phones in the U.S. and Canada. So there's no app setup or uh, anything else required. The homeowner simply asks the assistant to call anyone in their contact list, and it is smart enough to discern between six users and their individual accounts by the sound of their voice. By default, it will dial out from a private number, but users can configure it to display their own number for outgoing calls. Google Home is also adding support for Spotify for music streaming and will soon support Bluetooth for streaming from any Android or iOS device. Home is also gaining compatibility with Chromecast and can now display information requests on connected TVs. The updates are expected to reach Google Home over the coming months. Yeah, the amount of effort that's going into the Alexa and the Google Home uh, products here, just uh, it's kind of mind-blowing. I mean, it's really... Uh, I mean, the, the, the Star Trek Next Generation computer here is it, it's it's now a reality. I mean, we had the iPad from a few years ago that was kind of uh, Star Trek-ish, but now this is, uh, you know, that literally voice interactive response system that can do things for you, including turning your lights on and off, your TV channels, your music, all this stuff. It is like we're in Star Trek. I mean, it really is amazing uh, what you can do now with this technology, and it uh, it, it it blows my mind. I mean, it, it it's kind of common, and, and it's almost becoming commonplace, but it's really amazing. I've got a, you know, we don't have either of these devices, yeah, Alexa I don't or Google Home, but I, I do have a friend who does, uh, has the Google Home, and it's, it's pretty nice. You just say, well, you know what you have to say, because I don't want to set off everybody's devices at home. But uh, when you do, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, you can ask it questions. You can have it do things uh, for connected devices in the home and all of that. Um, and to be able to now make a phone call is, is pretty great, um, you know, I guess depending on what it is that you're trying to do. Um, obviously, it's interesting that it, it sets an outgoing call from a private number, but you're able to uh, 
you know, set it to uh, to call from a specific number. I actually like this for the Google Voice functionality aspect. So you would just be you would effectively be able to make an outgoing call pretty pretty easily. It's it's a little cumbersome because you have to launch an app and you know do it on the phone versus just literally using Siri on the phone to do it. So. Um, I do appreciate that aspect of it, and uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will as well. It seems like with this update, Google has pushed home ahead of Alexa in some respects, and I think it's back to Amazon now to, uh, to up their game to, uh, to add more features to what their device can do. In software news, Google on Wednesday announced Google Assistant for iPhone. This app can respond to voice input and take action for a wide variety of tasks. It can replace Siri on the phone, kind of, uh, whereas it can read emails, send messages, perform searches, and open and use applications. Uh, however, you have to have the app open in order to use it. It's not as easy as uh, the commands that you can just issue and have uh, on the iPhone with Siri. But uh, either way, Google Assistant for iPhone is now available in the iTunes App Store. That is a free app to download. Google on Wednesday updated its Android device manager application. So the app and has a new design and a new name. Moving forward, the app is called Find My Device. The service will help people find, lock, and erase lost or stolen Android devices. Some of the new features include the ability to check uh, for the lost device's Wi-Fi or check the lost device's Wi-Fi and battery status, as well as viewing the last known location in the event the phone has been lost. Uh, the lost phone has been turned off. Find My Device is free to download from the Google Play Store. You know, in both of these services for Android and iOS, the Find My iPhone and, of course, the Android Device Manager, formerly known as, uh, to me, that's just amazing features. You know, back when we were, you know, first smartphones or first around, you know, services like this did not exist. Uh, and then when they did start to exist, it was, you know, high monthly fees. They required lots of battery power. They required lots of you know, apps that uh, you had to give lots of permissions to, but now it's just baked right into the OS and it's free for everybody. And I, I still just love this. Uh, it's such a great service to be able to track and beep your phone from wherever it's at and, and find where it's, uh, you know, put it into loss mode, wipe it, whatever it may be. I, I, I really just love this uh, service that they provide. Uh, and I know people use this every day, but I uh, maybe not everybody uses it every day, but I know people do. Uh, and I it was a couple of months ago um, was with a family member who left a device somewhere and was able to find it very quickly. And, um, you know, it's one of those things you would pay for this. I mean, it's just because it's you're you've lost something that is got a lot of information on it not to mention it's it's not a cheap thing that you've lost and uh, to be able to find it just so quickly uh, is is wonderful so I, I absolutely love that like you say these it's almost magic that this this works and it's free and it's baked in uh, it's fantastic so anyway if you're on Google find my device is now the new name of your device management program Google this week releasing an update for its Gmail mobile apps that introduces a new smart reply feature offering suggested quick reply buttons within emails. The feature is something Google is bringing over from its inbox by Gmail and Allo apps where similar functionality was already available. Google says the feature accounts for around 12% of replies sent in inbox. Smart replies work by presenting three canned responses as buttons at the bottom of each email. You'll be able to edit the smart replies before sending if you wish to. If you wish to. And Google also notes that the feature uses machine learning so it will intelligently get better over time by customizing response suggestions to your specific usage. Google is rolling out smart replies to the latest versions of Gmail for both Android and iOS. 
Google on Thursday said it plans to bring full virtual reality support to its Chrome browser for Android handsets. With Chrome VR, people will be able to experience full websites in virtual reality, watch web-based videos in virtual reality, and interact with websites through the VR headset. Uh, Google suggests that Chrome VR can pair with automated or augmented reality tools when, for example, shopping for furniture in order to help define whether or not things will fit in your house. A new version of Chromium is also available for two developers from GitHub, so web writers can get started in creating VR experiences for the web. Google didn't say when it expects to offer the final version of Chrome VR to the general public. Facebook Thursday said it is simplifying the main screen of Facebook Messenger, returning the app's focus to messaging. Facebook has over the last year added numerous features to the messaging tool, reducing the usability along the way. The app introduces tabs along the top uh, for all the different actions and features rather than forcing them into small slots onto the home screen like it was previously. The tabs will also show users uh, which of their friends are available for conversations as well as a dedicated place to host group conversations. The bottom bar now offers shortcuts for making calls, taking pictures, searching for people, playing games, and exploring the forthcoming Discover tab. Lastly, Messenger includes a red dot to help people see what's new. The Android Messenger is a new Android, not Android, the new Facebook Messenger is hitting Android and iOS devices this week. Google this week rolled out Google Payment API. So this has got new capabilities that will allow anyone to make in-app online payments with any debit or credit card associated with their Google account. Google says the option to simplify the process for people to check out and make purchases online negates the need to fill out purchasing forms. Also, the API will make it possible to send people or uh, money or receive payments via the Google Assistant. Whether the Assistant is accessed through the smartphone or Google Home, users can say the Google command followed by send $10 for Jane, uh, for, to Jane for pizza, and Google will do exactly that. A separate payment tool for developers called the Card Linked Offers API smooths the process for supporting loyalty cards and programs, giving developers new channels for interacting with customers and rolling out targeted offers. From a customer standpoint, it'd be far easier to add loyalty cards to Android Pay once developers update their apps with the Card Linked Offers API. These uh, capabilities are expected to roll out later this year. And good news for anyone with a 2016 Model 4, the company has announced that a software update will allow its entire fleet from that year to use both uh, CarPlay and Android Auto. CarPlay supports all models from the iPhone 5 and up, running iOS 7.1 and later. While you can take your car to a dealer and get the update there, it's not necessary. There's a couple of DIY options. You can either download the update from Ford's owner support site, uh, but there will also be uh, a first over-the-air update for Sync, meaning that users with Wi-Fi-enabled vehicles will be able to download it directly and automatically. CarPlay is already available for all 2017 models, and this update brings the platform to around additional an additional 800,000 vehicles. If you have an older Model 4, the company added Siri eyes-free compatibility to sync-equipped vehicles dating back to 2011. This provides some access to Siri, though not full CarPlay functionality. Yeah, another amazing uh, update this week. I mean, if you have one of these cars, that's uh, great that you can, across the entire fleet of vehicles, you can get CarPlay and Android Auto. I, I mean, it's uh, it's so disappointing that we don't see many of these yet in, in a lot of vehicles. It's still just uh, uncommon and kind of rare. And, it, you know, I, iPhone 5's how many years old? You know, iOS, iOS 7.1 and in uh, Android Auto, it's kind of the same way. That, that Both of these platforms have been out for years and years and years. And it's now just kind of trickling to a few cars here and there. But any 2016 Ford on up, you've got it. And I, I, that's just amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, for 
you know, perspective, I just bought a new 2017 Toyota this week and it's still got that Entune stuff ingrained in it and there's no, you know, CarPlay and, and you, you bet it was absolutely a consideration uh, for us. And, um, you know, fortunately for, I guess, Toyota, the other car that we were looking at uh, did not have it either. So that kind of became a level playing field there. But um, kind of a bummer that, uh, you know, of all of the things that are out there and all the vehicles that are out there, especially going back a number of years now, you know, there's so many Fords that have this now and you're, you know, Toyota as a, uh, in perspective does not. Right. And of course with, um, you know, with the, you know, infotainment systems and vehicles, they, they, they've stepped up their game in the past few years. So they're better. And in some cases, you know, they duplicate a lot of the functionality, but it's still just nice to have that, uh, you know, that, that the thing where it's being updated on your phone and, and it's, it, it's got that, uh, you know, the, the navigation, of course, it's all through the phone. It's, it's just, it's more up to date because it's the interface is being driven by the phone instead of being uh, in the vehicle itself. Yeah, I, I, I will uh, I will agree with that. I also I get a little frustrated when you can't use just natural language um, with, you know, these types of systems um, and it, it versus on the phone. I mean, we just get so used to just kind of barking out commands and not having to think about the syntax of how you're saying them. And it just makes it so much easier when when you can do that. So um, either way, it's nice if you've got Fords, especially a, a model year 16 or later at this point, because you're guaranteed uh, effectively to have uh, Android Auto and CarPlay in your vehicle now. Google VP of Photos, uh, the, the Google VP of Photos this week showed off a new feature called Suggested Sharing, relying on machine learning to recognize people in photos and making it easier to quickly share them. For people without Google Photos, Suggested Sharing will offer to share over SMS or email. Shared Libraries is another new feature where you can select who you want to share with, which photos you want to share, and from what date. These can be shared between people invited, automatically recognizing who took photos and adding them to communal albums. All shared photos will be included in search, collages, automatic movies, and more. Google is hoping this will cut down in the effort uh, around worrying about who took a photo by congregating all photos together from your friends at a specific event. The new sharing features are expected to hit Google Photos on Android, iOS, and the web in the coming weeks. Now, that's really cool, you know, because that's one thing, you know, you're at some place and people are taking pictures like, oh, can I get those pictures from you? And it, it's really kind of a pain. So this is kind of neat. I, I would like this to be easier and more, uh, you know, uh, something easier to do with your friends to have the picture sharing on iOS, too. Yeah, I mean, the, the iOS side is actually relatively easy. You can just do it shared is. albums, right? But um, and the other thing is, is if you do, if you don't want to do that, if it's just between one person, um, you know, airdrop is always a really nice feature as well. If you're selecting a big chunk of photos, I do this actually quite a bit for work related things. Um, but, you know, it, it always figures you've got the, the one Android person that's out there or, you know, uh, and I say that jokingly because it's like it, it does seem like it's always what it is. It's like one Android person in, you know, that that has this and you Android folks are going, wait, no, no, no it's the other way around. It's just the one right. iOS person. That's right. Uh, but, uh, you know, either way, it's it's still one of those things where I, I you know, th- it's not it's not as intuitive and as easy as as it should be. And so I think Google has now got some some great tools here in order to do that. So it is nice to see that they continue to iterate on that product. Into OS updates, Apple Monday made iOS 10.3.2 available to the iPhone and iPad, primarily resolving bugs, patching security holes, and improving performance. They've been testing the update for the past month in the developer and public beta programs. iOS 10.3.2 is a free download to install over the air or through iTunes. 
Google on Wednesday provided additional details about its next version of Android at its I.O. developer conference. Uh, One of the biggest additions is picture-in-picture for mobile devices. It works with apps such as YouTube and video calls, allowing people to minimize the video into a smaller window while opening and using other applications. Notification dots are a simpler way for people to manage incoming notifications. Another tool headed to Android O is called Autofill, working with most third-party applications, easing the process for filling in login details. Another function improves text selection. uh, Android O will automatically select phone numbers, addresses, and businesses, business names, and titles with a single tap. Uh, SensorFlow Lite, a new developer tool, will let developers create more powerful applications for the latest hardware. Google is also investing in what it calls vital tools for Android O. So, for example, Google is using machine learning to scan 50 billion apps every day to ensure they are secure. Uh, Google Play Protect will scan apps installed to devices automatically. And Google is improving app boot times for Android O. Google uh, says Pixel, for example, will load apps twice as fast with Android O. Uh, Wise Limits puts boundaries on app usage to free up memory and protect battery life. Play Console Dashboards, uh, a tool for developers, will give app writers far more insight into their app's performance, including crash reports, CPU usage, and power consumption. Lastly, Google will add uh, added the uh, Kotlin developer language to the Android platform. Uh, this lets developers rely on uh, Kotlin rather than Android Studio to create their apps. Google says Android O will arrive for end users later this summer. Developers can download the beta build of Android O to begin testing with the first public beta uh, also now available. Uh, The updated operating system is available to anyone with the Google Pixel, Pixel XL, Pixel C, Nexus 6P, 5X, or Nexus Player. In order to access uh, the beta, people need to register via android.com. The beta is open to anyone, and the final release version uh, should be out here, like I said, later this summer. And alongside Android O, Google announced Android Go. So this is a light version of Android meant for basic hardware and environments where mobile data is expensive. So for example, it does things such as save mobile data in Chrome by default. It includes a new version of YouTube called YouTube Go, compressing videos to cut down on data usage, but also allows people to download videos over Wi-Fi for offline viewing. The Google Play Store will uh, soon include recommendations for light versions of apps that are designed to run on low-cost devices. Android Go will target all devices with one gig of RAM or less. Each uh, version of Android moving forward will include the Android Go uh, release. Uh, Google expects to see the first Android Go devices reach the market later this year. Questions and comments this week. First up um, is a question from Jermaine. He says, thank you for the great show. Uh, Question, what do you think about the increasing size of screens uh, and will the new iPhones follow that trend that is being set by Samsung and other Android handsets, Jermaine. So uh, it's a good question and certainly uh, one that I think is, you know, it's not really a new question. It's been kind of this like thing in the background happening. Devices have been getting bigger and bigger for many years here. And we're finally at a point right now where it's it's hard to imagine that they're going to get much bigger. But, you know, every single one seems to get a little bit bigger. It sure does, and it seems like the more the the, the popular devices are bigger, it, and it's it, it you know at some point it will top out here. It has to because they become too big to put in a pocket, and they become too big to hold on to. And of course, uh, you know we've been in this long time when screens were two inches, and now you know then they went up to three and a half. The iPhone, oh wow, three and a half. Then we went to the four inch screen at the, uh, and then oh my gosh, four point five. Oh, and they keep just getting bigger and five point five. So we've got the the you know the iPhone Plus uh, that they introduced with the the six, 
Uh, so now this year here, the, the rumors are looking like the new iPhone is going to have a 5.7 inch screen in a body that's just a hair bigger than what we kind of currently run as the standard iPhone, you know, seven or six class and six model. So that's what it's looking like. There's going to be less bezel, which of course will look a lot more like an Android device if the, the rumors are true. Um, un- unfortunately, I kind of look at that and think, well, that's kind of big for me. And I, I don't really, if that's going to be the small size, I, I don't really like that. I mean, I, it, it, it's going to be heavier probably because there's you know more glass on it and maybe a bigger battery. I don't know, but uh, I would assume the weight would be up. And of course, that brings me to the, the next thing is that this week I uh, switched over to an iPhone SE. I, I finally got uh, fed up with the, the weight of the iPhone 7. It's, it's heavier than the iPhone 6, which I used for two years up until getting the iPhone 7 and, and really didn't mind that phone at all. But this phone, the, the 7, is definitely noticeably heavier. It's lighter than a 6S, but, but heavier than the 6. And I just got kind of fed up with the size and the weight. So I decided to uh, give the iPhone SE a try because I had one uh, available to uh, to run. So um, it, it, it so far, it's been about four days with it, and I really do like it. It, it. Making phone calls on it is really great because it's a lot easier to hold on to, and it's a lot lighter to hold up. And, um, you know, the, the, the smaller screen size is a little annoying to interface with. You know, the typing on the keyboard, now I have to get used to that again, the smaller size. But... Uh, you know, performance-wise, it's it's perfect. I, I don't really notice a difference at all. Anything with the battery, or has the battery been okay for you? Never, I know you really never had issues with the battery on your phone. No, but. I've used this one quite a bit, and I'm still at 97% today already. So uh, this one seems to be very nice. Uh, camera is definitely not as good uh, in the low-light conditions. It's still the same 12 megapixel, but uh, the lens is a lot smaller, and I think it doesn't have quite of all the... Uh, the the lowest aperture, like it's a 2.4 versus a 2.2 or something like that. Uh, uh, so it's not as good, but I think uh, it's a it's a trade off I'm willing to make because it, it's just it, it's a it's a much more comfortable device size to use. And of course, this this size device uh, you know started with the iPhone 5, which was the very first iPhone that I got. You're right, and so you're obviously comfortable with that. Although it's been now two and a half years since you've used that size, really, if you think about that. Um, but you know, there's so many people that. Um, you know, I think loved that size, uh, decided to go with that device because of course it had the, you know, the full functionality really of the iPhone six S I believe is when that yes, first came that's out. That's exactly so, what it so is. Yep. Same, same functionality, just, uh, you know, the camera is not quite as good, but it still has a good enough sensor that you, you're going to be fine with it. So I see a lot of people with this size device and I, and, you know, I kind of ask them, uh, you know, is that a new, you know, I got a new iPhone they say, and, and it, it, I got the SE. And I've, I've asked and I've come across lots of people with the SE. It's, it's kind of uh, interesting. You know, of course, one is the price. It's uh, a good a couple hundred dollars cheaper or $300 cheaper than the, uh, the bigger model. And it's uh, it, half the people say, well, it, was, it costs less. And the other half of the people say, I like the size better. Hmm. And so, you know, going back to the question here from Jermaine, this is, I, I think this size is here to stay because because so many people want this size and and I'm kind of one of them here and it it, it really does uh you know solidify the fact that we're gonna have you know 
uh, choices with iPhones and of course with Android as well. But, you know, I think since we've gotten so big, I think we're going to kind of bounce back again. We're going to start over and, and start with smaller. We're going to have smaller options available again. Uh, for screen sizes because uh, we've just gotten so big. And, you know, if, if for somebody like me that usually has an iPad with them, I, I don't need a bigger screen phone. But if I didn't have an iPad, that's what I'd be going with was probably a bigger, bigger size phone. And that, that's, uh, I think, a very good point and something that, you know, we, we have talked about many times is that you're, I'll say, from a mobile device perspective, primarily an iPad user that, of course, also has a phone because, you know, you have a phone. Uh, but it, it's a th- this, there's certain scenarios. Yours happens to be one of them where this makes all the sense in the world. Right. Because if you're if you want a bigger screen, you want the biggest screen possible. And that's where you pull out the iPad versus, you know, if you don't have that and you don't have it with you most of the time, you're going to probably be going for a bigger screen phone and the bigger phone that the screen, the biggest screen that you can possibly get means something to you when that is your primary, I'll just say non uh, laptop or non computer. Um, and, you know, I think uh, that that's where kind of these things come into come into play is how you are using your other devices. And there's this is where there's no one size that fits all for everybody and why it makes it's so great that you've now we now have effectively three different sizes and maybe soon to even be a fourth um, in that you, you can make that decision. And depending on how you use your devices and what you use them for, uh, you're going to have a different need. And so you can make a different decision. But um, Jermaine, that's, I think, kind of the, the answer for both of us then is, you know, the the increasing size of the screens is going to keep going in that direction until we get a point where, um, you know, you've got some devices that are just too big. You know, the ones that are six inches or or more seem to be a little bit too big. So I think we're we're kind of at the top end of that, and it's going to be a number of things that will tweak. Uh, the current size or footprint of the devices, like, you know, expanding out, not having the bezels, having the curved screens, uh, stuff like that, having different aspect ratios, maybe the diagonals a little bit longer, but the, the width, you know, from left to right is going to be less so that it's easier to hold stuff like that. That's what's going to change. So the, the, the new rumored iPhone, you know, 10th, 10th iPhone here is rumored to be 5.8 inch screen or 5.7 inch screen. And uh, I think 5.8. And they, uh, so, so this, this week they also had a rumor that the iPad mini is done for this, this iPad mini four is going to be the last one. And what I think here is, you know, next year there will be a bigger iPhone with the, you know, kind of the same bezel of design that will be that six and a half inch mark. That's just bull, you know, just a little bit smaller than the iPad mini, um, you know, by an inch or two, that's then a phone. So that will fill the gap that the mini is leaving and still act as a phone. So that's just my gut feel of what they'll be doing, uh, you know, next year, not this year, but next year, because then that's, you know, another new product to announce and to fill the gap of the iPhone or the iPad mini four, which will then be a a few years old at that point. And it needs replacing. So uh, that's just kind of my gut feel is what will happen there. It it seems to make some sense. I mean, obviously there are people who use the minis and love the minis and that's, that's the device for them, but you know, it's, it's not the same. It doesn't have the same level of interest as, as the other iPads that are out there. And it's definitely the lowest selling among them. Um, But there, there will be people that were, will, uh, you know, be upset that it's going away. Absolutely. So then, of course, uh, you know, talking about the iPhone SE, hopefully, uh, you know, they probably won't uh, this fall update it. 
but hopefully in the next cycle or sometime next year, March or whatever, they, they do another update to it to hopefully modernize the, uh, uh, keep the processor modern and to uh, upgrade the camera a little bit, which would be really nice. Yeah, that would be. And I, I think there's, especially for the folks that are looking for the the smaller devices, that small footprint, um, you know, they want to keep seeing it uh, get iterated and, and not go away. Um, and I, I'm hoping that the numbers are going to keep that uh, in place because it's, it's an important uh, product line um, for, for many people. Uh, finally, today is a question from Bruce. He says, Mickey and Joey, this may uh, be a problem for only a handful of people, but uh, I'm flying on short trips uh, three to four times a day. So I'm constantly having to pull my Android phone out and put it in airplane mode and then subsequently restart uh, both Wi-Fi and Bluetooth so that I can keep in contact with my watch and in-flight data. I would love to have an application uh, and preferably a widget that turns on the cellular connection, but not, uh, or turns off the cellular connection, but not Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Have uh, you come across any such animal? Um, I've not found anything in the Play Store that supports the current Android version uh, or isn't just a toggle uh, to take you to settings. Thanks so much for the show, Bruce. Yeah, and we have the exact same problem with iOS. However, airplane mode is airplane mode for a reason. And airplane mode is airplane because it shuts off all the radios, which is supposed to be what's happening on airplanes. Obviously, now we now have um, Wi-Fi that's available on a lot of flights. I don't remember now if the current rules where you can have it on during landing and takeoff or if you still have to have it off during landing and takeoff. Now I, now I don't remember. Uh, so that could be an issue. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is not uh, the case. It's, it depends on the airline, but in the airlines that I've flown that have Wi-Fi accessible, it is not the case where you have to turn off the Wi-Fi um, on your devices. It's, it's fine to use them. It's fine to use both phones and tablets. It's just um, it's things that are bigger than a tablet that they, they don't let you use. So laptop computers, as an example, although there's some irony in that because of you know the, the use of iPads and iPads with keyboards kind of look like you know, and function like laptops, but either way. Um, but yeah, to your point, it's the exact same problem. You've got to go back in and, and it's even worse. Um, I, I think if you, if you have a watch, uh, because you have to do it on both, like you, it's really great on the, on the Apple watch, as an example, you hit airplane mode and it puts the watch in airplane mode and pushes out the message to turn, put the phone in airplane mode. But then of course you can't turn airplane mode back off because the phone is in airplane mode and so it, it's not connected over bluetooth and so you got to pull that out and deal with that and all that but um yeah I'm, I'm with you i really wish there was a way to do this that was easier and i actually bet that um, we are going to see some feature tweaking to how this behavior functions that only turns off but i don't know when that's going to be but it will only turn off uh that cellular portion and it will leave the other pieces on i believe Right. And there's not an easy uh, cellular toggle on iOS either. And, it, it, and of course, Mickey, that run, I run into that. Sometimes I turn on my air, uh, airplane mode on the phone to get the Wi-Fi to restart or to get it to kick in. And then, of course, the watch is out of sync. And I don't realize it for hours that it's uh, you know stuck into airplane mode because the watch does it, too. Uh, when you do it on the phone, the Apple Watch goes into airplane mode. And I wish it wouldn't. I would just wish it would leave its radios on and then, you know, communicate with the phone when the phone comes back on. So uh, it is it is frustrating. So, you know, we, we share the same things. And, I, you know, of course, I haven't come across a widget in Android, but I haven't really looked. Yeah. And I, I would say the only other flip side of that is that we, we have at this point, um, you know, all of these devices that we're trying to manage. And I, I it, when you get on a plane, and you're trying to deal with, you know, it, some people have multiple phones and a tablet and, and a watch and you're trying to like turn all this stuff off. I mean, it's a, 
you know, it, it's a it's a little bit of a process, and um, you know, then you're you're ultimately then forgetting to turn things back on and all of that. But um, you know, this is first world problems, I guess. But uh, yeah, Bruce, I, I don't have anything easy or quick for you as far as uh, you know, other than to say it would be nice to see something and actually see it baked into the the low level uh, operating system that would make it so you don't need an application to deal with this. Well, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.